Praise, praise his name who will ever abide. What a blessing. It's just amazing how many good things God can pack into a morning like this, isn't it? I have been tremendously blessed this morning. I hope you can say the same. Is there an amen? Praise God. God is good all the time. Realized something new this morning. As we were singing, I noticed the song that I chose there, Be Silent, Be Silent, was written by Fanny Crosby. Isn't that amazing? And they said when Fanny Crosby walked into the room, you tended to feel it. Be silent, be silent, for holy this place. Amen. Well, before we go into the message this morning, I wonder if you would kneel together with me for prayer. We do that. Be silent, be silent, a whisper is heard. Be silent and listen, O treasure each word. Be silent, be silent, for holy this place, this altar that echoes the message of grace. Be silent, be silent, breathe humbly our prayer, a foretaste of Eden this moment we share. Be silent, be silent, his mercy record. Be silent, be silent, and wait on the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. You're never in a hurry, nor are you ever late. We wait on you this morning. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the few people that were able to gather here this morning. Many of our brothers and sisters are gone abroad, other places. Lord, we pray for them. We pray you'd meet with them, bless them. And we ask you for yet another blessing here this morning, Lord. We thank you so much for feeding our souls this morning. Thank you for this place, Lord. We wait on you. We look to you, Jesus, for your spirit to minister to our souls. Feed our souls, Lord, as we worship you together here this morning. We worship you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We wait on you. We need your touch. We need your healing. We need your spirit, Lord, to speak those words to our hearts. Fear not. Oh, God, we forget so soon. The early dews of morning, they pass away so soon. God, minister to our hearts. Bless each soul. Bless each child here today, Lord. Teach them the fear of the Lord. Keep them from the evils of this world and from the evil propensities of their own hearts, Lord. 
Save each child, Lord. Convert them to you. Oh, Jesus, we pray. We need you, God, this morning. We invite you, Lord, here. Give us yet a little more spiritual food this morning, Lord. Thank you for the bread of life. In Jesus' name we pray, God. Amen. There's a very interesting story, very, very short story in the Bible that I come across every now and then when I read through the Bible and maybe other times. It's always fascinated me when I read it and I decided to use that for a text this morning and I drew six points out of this short story. This story has to do with a wise man. It's not Solomon. This is, Solomon was, was the richest and the wisest man probably that ever lived. This is a poor wise man. It's a very intriguing story. You'll find it in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. You can turn there. That's going to be the text for the message here this morning. This was a poor, wise man. Seems almost like a paradox in our, our world. We don't look at poor people as wise, do we? Unfortunately. But we're going to learn a few things, I, I trust, from this story this morning. I titled the message, Lessons from the Story of the poor wise man. And I have six lessons that I hope we can learn from this story out of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 13. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 13. Very interesting little story. We don't have all the answers about this, all the details. But it's very interesting. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 13. This wisdom have I seen also under the sun. And it seemed great unto me. There was a little city and a few men within it. And there came a great king against it and besieged it. And built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised. And his words are not heard. The words of wise men are heard in quiet 
more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. We are commanded in the New Testament to seek after wisdom, not worldly wisdom, but God's wisdom. Paul told the Ephesians, said, see that you walk circumspectly. That means exactly. See that you know where you're walking. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We're exhorted here to be wise, to walk circumspectly, to know what what life is all about. And that doesn't happen by accident. That happens by studying and being students of the word and and, and, uh, seeking God for wisdom, that wisdom that comes from above. And we're told where our wisdom comes from, the wisdom that we want. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, it says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. If we don't know Jesus, we don't know wisdom. If we know Jesus, we have begun to be wise. And I think it's a lifetime of seeking and waiting and asking. Yes, asking. Ask and ye shall receive. How often do we do things without seeking the wisdom of Jesus, without asking, without waiting? We're commanded, we're clearly told here where our wisdom comes from. It comes from Jesus. Kind of a little introduction to to the message here. Lesson number one in this story. We learn here that Solomon was fascinated by this account. Either maybe he knew of this battle that was fought somewhere or going to be fought. And it intrigued him because we know of Solomon that It is said of him, I I believe there was no wars in his reign, no bloody wars. And so perhaps this war, this battle stood out to him in particular because it was won without bloodshed. I don't know. I'm guessing this man won this battle by being diplomatic. That's my guess. This wise man. That's just my guess. By what it says that this was a very wise man and he delivered the city. And the point, the lesson that I want us to get, it's a very short one here. The first one it was, is that Solomon was fascinated with this. It seemed great unto him and it seemed it grew on him and he, it, 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 it got to him. He had to figure out how this poor wise man won the battle. And so he studied it and perhaps inquired about it and asked the older men, so what happened? It seemed great to me, he said.
To Solomon, I think in his heart, he said, there are some lessons in this story, in this account that I want to learn. And the lesson that I want us to learn on this point is we should have the same desire for truth, for wisdom. Proverbs 4 tells us, get wisdom, get understanding, get it, forget it not, neither, de- neither decline from the words of my mouth. Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is a principal thing, therefore get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. And even Jesus, of Jesus, it says in Luke, Luke chapter 2, that Jesus at the age of 12 increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So the first lesson I would like to give to us is that we should, we should be students of life. And in our problems, we all have problems and challenges. Young people have challenges. Why don't you go to someone else that you think has been through this before and ask and figure it out and inquire and search for things that are of interest to you. Solomon, I think, was born with a lot of wisdom, but I believe he gained a lot of wisdom by this desire. And so I leave that point number one, lesson number one, as a challenge to us to not just let life take its course over us, but to, to, to dig in, to search it out, to find answers, to learn, to study, to be approved unto God. Lesson number one. It seemed great unto me. There's too many unanswered Questions in this story, Solomon said, it seemed great to me. There's more to this story than, than what we read about. And Solomon was set to figure it out. Are you, am I that way? Lesson number one. Lesson number two. We learn from this story that poverty is not a proof of stupidity. That's something for us to consider in America. Really, I thought about this, really. You know, we think in America, if you can't be rich, if you can't at least provide for yourself, there's something wrong. But it's not that way everywhere in the world. Some places in the world, you, you are poor because that's where you live. You barely have enough. You live from for food from day to day, because that's where you live. Does that mean all those people are stupid? Absolutely not. Very many people in the world are poor, but wise. Here was a poor man that was very wise, and by his wisdom delivered the city. I think it's important that we as wealthy Americans, stop and ponder that phrase. Poverty is not a proof of stupidity. 
ponder that where we live. Poverty is not a proof of stupidity. And James speaks to that. If you can, you can keep your finger there, we'll come back to that text. But go back to James with me. I think he speaks to people of our caliber, people who have a kind of a rich mentality. We grow up in a very affluent, we live in a very affluent place. And James has some words to say about that. And it has to do with being respecters of persons. In James chapter 2, Poverty is not a proof of stupidity. My brethren, James 2, verse 1, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor, stand thou here or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, listen, brothers and sisters. Hath not God chosen the poor? of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him but ye have despised the poor do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats I think we'll stop reading there but just think with me honestly if a very wealthy well dressed man would walk in here about now you know a nice suit ring everything you could tell he's rich And the feeling, the thoughts, the respect maybe that we would have for that man. Why would it be different than if a poor man would follow him? You know, why do we think that way? You know, what's wrong with you? We would think of the poor man, I think. Why would we think differently about the poor man? James challenges us here that we really shouldn't think any differently. Why would we, what goes through your mind? How would your heart respond if if, uh, if a man well-dressed and maybe we would know him to be a man in the community of, 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 uh, of respect. <clears throat> and then we, then in would walk a man of, of the very opposite. How would your heart respond? How would my heart respond? Well, James challenges us here that we should not be partial towards those two, but we should respect both of them. We know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, 
that ye through his poverty might be rich. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says that, that Christ made himself poor that we might be rich. Here in this story was a poor, wise man. Lesson number two, poverty is not a proof of stupidity. We might be surprised how much wisdom some of those beggars in Iowa City have standing on the street corner. We might be surprised how much wisdom. You know, they might have got there. They might have got on the street corner like that. Not that I'm justifying that that would be the best thing they could do, but they might have got there primarily be because of something that was out of their control through an experience or whatever. But inside that beggar could be very, very much wisdom. We tend to think, well, if he was wise, he would get a job and go to work. And But let's not judge him before we know the facts. Lesson number three this morning. The opposite, and this is not maybe found in this story, but I thought it would be good to to talk about this. The opposite, lesson number three, is riches are not a proof of being wise. Just because you're rich does not mean that you're wise or wiser than the poor person. Actually, we have have a phrase here that would verify that in verse 16 in in our text here. Wisdom is better than strength. In this world that we live in, with riches often goes clout. In this world, riches have power. People with riches have power. They have influence. So if you have money, you have clout. And to the worldly mind, ooh, you are some you are someone. You must be wise. Not exactly. Think with me of the prodigal son. As long as he had money, he had friends, he had clout. He called the shots where the next party was going to be because he had money. He had influence, and you can be sure his friends were there as long as he had money. They would show up at the party. But he had no wisdom or very little. He got some little later on in the story, in a very yucky place. He finally got some wisdom, but while he had riches, he had very little wisdom. Jesus spoke very forcibly on this point, and we should turn there to Luke chapter 12. Riches are not a proof of being wise. Not at all. Luke 12. If you turn there with me. Very sobering story for us from the words of Jesus. Luke 12, verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now notice, this man was already rich before his ground brought plentifully. He was already rich. 
And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Riches are not a proof that we are wise. That's a lesson we should learn that wisdom is better than strength. Thou fool, no wisdom. God said of him, All the money he needed, plus more, laid up for many years, but not rich towards God. That's a lesson we should should strongly think about, consider our own lives, our decisions, our money, our savings account. How are we towards God? Let's do personal inventory. How are we towards God? How do we get rich towards God? Be a good thing for us to ponder, a lesson for us to learn. Wisdom is better than strength. I lost my page here. Lesson number four. Lesson number four is wisdom is often not duly rewarded in this life. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. How could it be, brothers and sisters, that this man delivered the city and was forgotten? How could that be? I think there's a lesson in here for us. I think this lesson has a couple points for us to consider. Look at it with me in verse 15. He by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. You'd think there should have been honors heaped upon this man, a wreath put around his neck, you know, and a a party thrown and said, let's celebrate. You you, you saved us from from this great king. You delivered us from being overtaken or killed or whatever. But the story goes here that no man remembered this 
No one remembered this man's wisdom or this poor man. There was no honor given to him. And I found this quote from Matthew Henry. He says, But wise and good men must often content themselves with the satisfaction of having done good. Have you heard that? It goes on. Or at least endeavor to do it when they cannot do the good they would, nor have the praise they should. Let me read it again. But wise and good men must often content themselves with the satisfaction of having done good, or at least endeavor to do it, when they cannot do the good they would, nor have the praise they should. How often have we been quick to forget the good that others have shown to us and neglect in showing proper gratitude? Think about that. Very important lesson. I think here are two lessons for us to learn this morning. First, the wisdom that God gives us in helping people we do, first of all, for God. Whether people receive it or not, whether the people thank us or not, we do it because we know it's right to do. And we help people. We do people good. First of all, because it's the right thing to do, we do it for the, for the good of the people and for the glory of God, whether they receive it or not, or whether we are thanked or not. That's an important lesson for us to learn. Sometimes we'd like to toot our own horn a little bit, but not the wise man. The second lesson is from this point is that we should remember to give honor to whom honor is due. As we reflect back in our own lives and people that have spoken into our lives and helped us, how often do we go back and even 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 for something that has happened a long time. And just thank them for being used of God. That's good for them, and it's good for us. Here, Solomon points out that the people did not remember this same poor man. To me, that's, that's sad. That's a tragedy. That, that they could forget the wisdom that delivered their city and give the man very little or no honor. He was soon forgotten. We have a very classic example of this in Genesis. And I'd like for us to turn there. Genesis chapter 40. In case there's some here that say, well, it, it seems a good that I do. It's just forgotten. And, you know, why even bother? People forget. We don't. We, we need this reminder here this morning. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Here in Genesis 40, we have the account of Joseph, who you know the story. I won't take time to read the whole thing, but it's a very interesting story. He was in prison here. And as you remember, his two fellow inmates there had a dream. The baker and the butler had a dream. And it troubled them because it didn't have an interpretation. They didn't know what it meant. When Joseph heard about this, he, in verse, in verse 9 of chapter 40, 
He interpreted the dream. Well, let me read verse 8. And they said unto him, We have dreamed the dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. Now here comes the wisdom of God from Joseph. So the butler tells his dream. He says, In my dream, Behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand, and Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. Three, the three branches are three, year, three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head, and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand, after the former manner when thou was his butler. Now look at verse 14. Joseph makes a plea here. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For I indeed was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in, a, in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there was all manner of ba baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head from off thee and shall hang thee on a tree. And the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all the servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into butlers into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by a river, and so on. Now, two years, I thought, is a long time. Think about it. what happened two years ago. Where were you at two years ago? And, and think of being in prison all this time. Having done good, having, having seen your, your wisdom come to pass, and being forgotten about, he's sitting in prison for two more years. Pharaoh dreams a dream. Then it comes back to this butler. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 41, I do remember my faults this day. Do we have any of these faults? Should we go back and give honor to someone? Do we owe anything to anyone that's spoken to our lives, into our life? I think we should, we should glean some wisdom. We should learn this lesson. Wisdom is often not duly rewarded in this life. And number one, we just need to accept that's the way it is. 
And number two, we should do better in doing it where we can. Lesson number five from this story. Wisdom despised because of who it comes by. It says, nevertheless, in, in verse 16, if you're back at, to the text, it says, nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Here it seems to go a step further. Not only did they forget it, but some even despised it. Not only was this man not properly thanked, but people came to the place where they actually discredited his words. Imagine that. It probably went something like this. Surely there's more to this story than meets the eye. Surely we're not seeing the bigger picture. Surely this, this poor man didn't deliver us. I mean, we know him. We know his family. We know his flat spots. Surely it couldn't have been that this wise man, this poor man delivered us. Nah, surely not. He's not even a businessman. How could he deliver this city? I can easily imagine some of their thoughts went like that. And his wisdom was despised because they didn't like who it came by. He was a poor man. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6 for some more words of Jesus. Mark chapter 6. Have you ever felt that people didn't want to hear what you have to say just because it's coming from you? Oh, yeah. I see heads nodding. People don't like who, sometimes, they don't like who the wisdom comes through. They don't like the, 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 the messenger. They don't like the vessel. In Mark 6, verse 1. See if I have the right. Yes. Mark 6 verse 1. The first six verses. And he, Jesus, went out from thence and came into his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished, surprised, saying, from whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Very important lesson for us, brothers and sisters here. 
Because we are no stranger to these feelings. We have a hard time receiving things sometimes from people that we know well. We might as well admit it. Me included. Wisdom despised because of who it comes by. This is very dangerous when we fall into this. You know, certainly we need to endeavor to have a testimony that's above reproach. I don't think we need to live. It's not right that we live careless lives. And if, if our testimony isn't clear, then, then, then the accusations stand to reason. But we, are, we must remember that our master who we are following was treated this way as well. Sometimes he had no honor. He spoke the truth. He spoke wisdom with no honor or very little. He told us in John 15, if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the scripture might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. They despised the messenger. They despised the message because they did not like the messenger. This came to mind as I was thinking about this, an experience I had some years ago. I think it was me and my boys, or maybe it was just me and one of the other brothers here going door to door here in Wellman. And we came up to this one house, knocked on the door, and I, I didn't know who lived there. I found out later who the man was, but he opened the door and he looked at me and I introduced myself and told him we're here sharing the news of Jesus. And he looked at me and I don't remember exactly word for word what he said, but something like this, I know you, I know where you live. Uh, I know you've not been to seminary. Who are you out here trying to tell us about you know, Christ? I know you've not been to seminary. And shut the door and went back in again. Whoa. Yeah, well, I wasn't. I didn't go to seminary. That was very intimidating, I guess. But yeah, didn't like the messenger. Didn't, I'm sure he didn't like the message either. I'm not sure that he would have liked it if I would have went to seminary, but uh, that was important in his mind. But sometimes we have those experiences. Turn with me yet to another one here for, for this point, a very interesting account in John 9. I always really like this account and get just very interesting. What happens here in John 9 to the blind man that was healed. Wisdom despised because of who it comes by. A lesson we should learn. John 9, verse 24. <clears throat> we have this man that was born blind, healed, and the Pharisees are really challenging him and questioning him. And we're going to break in the middle of the story here in verse 24. 
Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking of Jesus. They did not like Jesus. He answered and said, Whether, the blind man answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. Amen to that. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, but as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet hath he opened mine eyes? Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, he and doth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And then they lay it on him. Thou was altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. They didn't like the messenger. So a lesson we can learn is to ask ourselves the question, if I don't like the messenger, yet he's speaking truth, how do I respond to that? God has chosen the, the weak things of the world here to confound the things that are wise or the foolish things of the world to confound the things that are wise. We'll read that in 1 Corinthians 1. I don't think we'll take time to go there. I have another point that I want to give here, but let us, let us be careful to not miss the message because we don't like the messenger. Lesson number six is a very important one. goes along with a little bit with what Vernon was sharing this morning. It is this, just because the odds are stacked up against us, doesn't mean we've lost the battle. This story says there was a little city, few men within it. There came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. I'd say the odds were pretty high against this little city. Besiege means surrounded, to be set with hostile troops all around. And the lesson we want to learn here is just because the odds are stacked up against us doesn't mean we've lost the battle. Have you ever felt like the odds are all stacked up against you? Everywhere you look, you see no way out. Take fear, for instance. 
Fear can be very crippling, very intimidating, like an approaching thunderstorm. You feel like it is about to overtake you, dark, foreboding clouds rolling in upon you. Or take discouragement. Discouragement comes upon us not like a thunderstorm, but more like a foggy morning. Very silently, slowly creeps in. First, only slightly obscuring our vision as the fog comes in, but eventually totally enshrouding and blocking our view from seeing anything. That's discouragement. Dearly beloved, let us beware of fear and discouragement. Both are an enemy to our soul. Both keep us from victory. Turn with me to Second Kings chapter 6. <clears throat> Beautiful story. Vernon read it. Apparently God wants us to hear it twice. We didn't compare notes. 2 Kings 6, verse 8. The story of Elisha and his servant. The king of Israel, the king of Syria, sorry, warred against Israel and took counsel with his servant, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warred and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the, his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. I think we'll stop reading there. How do we see? Do we look at the odds that are stacked up against us? Or do we look at the promises of God? Romans 8.31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, 
who can be against us? First John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Lord, open our eyes. Amen. Open our eyes. What could God do with us when the odds are stacked up against us and we would, we would draw on the wisdom of God? Could he deliver us? Sure he could. I found a story in history of Alexander the Great that you might find interesting. It kind of goes along with the story in Ecclesiastes here. And it goes like this. History gives the account of Alexander the Great about to destroy the city, Lampsacus. His old master, Anaximensis, came out to meet him. Alexander, suspecting his design that he would intercede for the city, being determined to destroy it, swore that he would not grant him anything he should ask. Then said Anaximus, I desire that you destroy the city. Do you get it? Okay, Alexander is out to destroy the city. This old man comes out to meet him, and he knows this man that he's going to intercede for the city. And he is determined to destroy this city. And so he swears with an oath that he would not give him one thing he asked for. And so he asks that he destroys the city. And the story goes, Alexander respected his own oath and the city was spared. How often could we, through the wisdom of God, have an experience like that? Similar or the principle we would draw on the wisdom of God and deliver ourselves from our problems. Dearly beloved, we need the wisdom from above to deliver us from the enemy of our souls. Just because the odds are stacked up against us doesn't mean we've lost the battle. I hope you've learned a few things from the message this morning. May God add his blessing. <clears throat>